2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. Second Thessalonians chapter number 2. We're going to go through quite a lot of Scripture this morning, so I hope that you have your Bible. One of the things as a new Christian years ago that really touched my heart was I found that they kept telling me that Jesus was coming. And I thought, well, he already came. And my pastor had to explain to me that when they're talking about Jesus is coming, it's that he's coming again. He's coming again. Yes, he's already come. He came over 2,000 years ago to die on the cross for our sins. He was here, and he, he, he walked on this earth. Uh, he, he toiled on this earth. He went through every type of temptation that we can go through yet without sin. And then they took him, and they nailed him to a cross, and he died. And praise God, three days later, he arose and he's alive forevermore. But the good news, well, that's good news in and of itself. But the even greater news is that he's coming again. He's coming again. And we can, and we're told that in the scriptures. And that's the title of this. Jesus is coming. But it's not going to be what you think. The message is not going to be what you think. What we're going to look at this morning is we're going to look at us some of the things that shows us that he's coming, some of the signs that he's coming, and one in particular that we're talking about. In, first, in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2, uh, verses number 1 and 2, it says this, now we, beach, or, uh, now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind, nor be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as of from us, as that day of Christ is at hand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today, and we do ask you to just guide the service. Lord, I need you this morning to give me clarity of thought. I need you, Heavenly Father, to, to fill me with your spirit so that I can be used this morning to bless these folks. And Lord, we would pray that through this message that a soul might be saved or somebody will be encouraged and a life changed. Just bless us now. Open up our minds and our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. So as Paul is writing to the Christians at, at Thessalonica, First of all, he says, I beseech you. The word beseech means to beg. I beg you, okay, brethren, because he's coming. He's coming. Now, remember, this was written, this was written somewhere uh, around 51 AD. So that was a long time ago. But yet he said he's coming. And he's saying, I'm writing this letter. I'm begging you because of his coming. Okay. And by your by our gathering together unto him. What a time that's going to be, being gathered together. Um, he says, by those things. And he says, because he's coming and we're going to be gathered together. He says, I don't want you to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by in a spirit or by the word or by a letter from us. Because that day is at hand. In other words, don't fret about it because 
It's coming. It's at hand. It's ready. And we're beginning to see today how much closer it is than what it was in 51 A.D. Now, Paul thought that Jesus was coming. John thought that Jesus was coming. Some of the other disciples thought that Jesus was coming in their day. And if they thought he was returning in their day, how much more can we say he's coming today? It's closer today than what it was back then. One of the marks, though, of the last days before the return of Christ is the increased apostasy within the body of Christ and the local church. Apostasy means to stand away or to turn away or to depart from. And he says there is going to be, there are going to be a great apostasy, a turning away. And it's applied to churches. Okay? It's not, uh, it's not coming from the world because the world doesn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They don't know any better. It's going to be from churches. Christians are going to turn away. Christians are going to get cold. Christians are going to stop serving God. In the book of Hebrews, Hebrews tells us, he says, not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the sum is, but even more as you see that day approaching. Uh, we should be meeting together more and more and more because we see the day approaching. He's coming back. The apostasy of the last days in the Bible teaches us three different things. One is it will take place, it will come to churches. They will grow cold. Okay? It will occur during what's called the church age from the time of Jesus until Jesus comes and the rapture takes place. There's going to be an apostasy. There's going to be a falling away. Uh, and then that will mark the end of the church age. And we'll go into what's called the tribulation. Uh, but it is coming. What are, some of the, what are some of the things that are going to take place? Well, one, there's going to be a denying of God. Okay, We have churches today uh, and people today that deny that there's a God. Well, I don't know if there's a God or not. There's a denying of Christ. We can see in 2 Peter chapter number 2, verse number 1, you need not turn to these, but, but it's there. 1 John chapter number 2, saying there's going to be a denying of Christ. Uh, a denying of Christ's return. We see in Peter, the second chapter, says that the day will come when people will say, well, where's his, where's his coming? We, we're, you know, we're told, how come he hasn't come? Well, folks, he hasn't come yet because it isn't his time yet. And God does everything in his time. And by the way, God is never late. And he's never early. He's always exactly on time as he has planned it. He will come and it will be in his time. And it's getting closer and closer. But there are those that deny his return. There are those that de deny the faith. They've turned from the faith. There are those that will, in Second Timothy uh, chapter number 4, that says that they deny sound doctrine. Uh, many, many churches are, are turning away from sound scriptures. There are some that, uh, matter of fact, in our Sunday school class this morning, brought out the fact that there are some churches today that are uh, allowing the the LGBT plus 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 plus, and uh, you know they're 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 caving in and saying, well, it's okay, uh, and they're even having pastors that are in that pastoring churches, and some of these churches 
aren't the big liberal churches. Some of them are, are some com, uh, conservative churches that are allowing that to take place, saying that it's okay. But it's not. It's sin. It was sin in, in God's day, and it's sin today. We love the sinner, but we hate the sin. And we have an obligation to, to, to present you know, and preach against the sin, but we love the sinner. And so there's going to be a denying of sound doctrine. There's going to be a denying of a separated living. Separated living. God tells us to come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and I'll receive you. Uh, as, as believers, as Christians, we're saved, and we're saved for all eternity, and there's nothing that you can do to make you lose that salvation. But God tells us that we're supposed to live a separated life. We're not supposed to live like the world. There should be a difference in our lives, and it should be a big difference in our lives. And I want to give you an illustration. And so I need, I need uh, two volunteers We'll do it army style. Okay, you're one volunteer. Army style. One more volunteer. Here we go. One, two, three. There's my second volunteer. All right, come on up here. Thank you. I hate doing it army style. That way I said... Okay, now one of you is going to be the, one of you is going to be the devil in the world. Who wants to be the devil in the world? Okay. okay. You're the devil in the world, and you're the, you're the Christian, okay? Now, I want to have you an arm distance apart from each other because he's going to be separated from you, okay? So put your arm out and put it right here on his shoulder. There we go. That's good. All right? That's good. All right. Okay? Now, here's what it is. The, the Christians, at one time, we say, okay, I want to be separated from, from Satan in the world. I want to live a separated life. Okay, and uh, so he's separated. But as time goes by, he begins to fall back into into some things in the world, and so he starts heading this way. Hey, go on, a little further. Okay, stop right there. There's still some separation. Okay, push him away a little bit, because, you know, he's a devil. I want him to come here. Yeah, I know you do. Get over there, though. Okay. Okay, but he says, I'm separated. I'm separated from the devil and the world. I'm not, I'm not being involved in that, but time goes by and begin, he begins to do some things that the devil wants him to do, and so he moves a little closer. And he says, I want to be separated, so he pushes the devil just a little bit, but the devil wants him to do it. He's doing it. And so he moves over just a little bit more, and now he's separated, but look where he's standing. Where's he standing? He's standing exactly where the devil was to begin with. Yeah, but now he's over there, and he's enjoying it. He says, I got him. I got him. I got him where I want him. Yeah, he's separated. He's not doing all the real horrible things, but he's not separated unto the Lord. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Okay. Folks, that's my story. That's yeah. my real story. Yeah. God wants us to live a separated life, but in the end times... Christians will begin to deny separated living. And they'll start living just like the world, just like the world. And it may not be exactly the way the world's doing it today, but it is the world. And as the world gets closer and closer and further and further away from God, 
Christians sometimes get further and further away from God. It's kind of like the, it's kind of like the story of the two elderly couple. When they first got married, they sat in a car as close as you could possibly sit to each other. You know, it was before bucket seats, you know. Some of you young people, you don't know, you know, everything's a bucket seat now. But used to, we used to have a bench in the, in the, in the, and they would sit just as close as possible. As the years went by, the distance got a little further apart. And, um, one day, this couple pulled up behind a car and, uh, and, uh, he's behind the wheel and she's over here clutching to the door, you know. And then she sighs and says, she sees this couple in front of them that are just, you know, like that. And she sighs. He says, oh, we used to be that way, that close together. He looks over at her and says, I haven't moved. <laughs> but we have a tendency to do that as believers. But as, as believers, as Christians, we need to remain separated from the world and separated to God. But in the last days, that separated living will be denied. And we have Christians today that, man, anything goes. Now we're, we're Christians and we'll do whatever we want to. We'll be just like the world. We'll dress just like the world. We'll talk just like the world. We'll have the same uh, music just like the world. Oh, we'll sing. I was listening to a, a Christian station and they were singing songs. It sounded just like the world song. They just changed the words. But it sounded just like it. No separation. Denying morality. Okay? There's, there's right and wrong, and it hasn't changed. There's right and there's wrong, and it hasn't changed. And, but yet, in, in these last days, we will deny the morality. And look at what our morality is like tonight, today. Even Christians get involved in immorality. And, uh, you know, it's the big thing now. Uh, morality is. Jude tells us that. Denying authority. No one's going to tell us what to do. We're saved. We're on our way to heaven. No one's going to tell us what to do. But yet, God tells us what to do. And through His message, and through the His messenger, we're told what to do. But yet, in these last days, Denying authority. Now, these are eight different things, and there's several other things, too. But as we look at these things here, we can see that we're approaching the day. Because these things said, this is what's going to happen. Apostasy is not an attack from the outside world. It's an attack from within the church. And we need to be very, very careful that we're uh, that we're not denying our God, that we're not denying our Christ, that we're that 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 we're looking for His return, that our faith is being increased and and, and growing, and that we're 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 we 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 preach and teach and live sound doctrine, and we live separated lives, and uh, we live moral lives, and we uh, we live uh, under authority. The Bible tells us that we're to pray for those that are over us, and uh, we do have. And, and, and it's referring to the spiritual leadership. Okay, uh, those are things that we have. There's four major signs. Now, all this was introduction. Okay, and hopefully I'll, I'll get done in time to go so that the so that the food doesn't grow cold. Here's 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 some signs. First one is human 
uh, human experience, discovering truth. Okay? It goes into discovering truth. And here it is. Self-discovery. How many of you have ever, ever heard a phrase, I'm trying to discover myself? I'm trying to discover what, you know, what I'm going to do. Okay? Self-discovery. Okay? It's overemphasized. I don't need to, uh, all I need is what the Bible tells me. Turn to 2 Timothy. Okay? And we're going to look at 2 Timothy for a moment. See what the Bible says about this. Chapter number 4, this is what it tells us to do. I charge thee therefore before God and for the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure affliction, do the work in evangelism, and make full proof of thy ministry. So one of the things is, is a self, self-discovery. I'm going to see, you know, you deserve a break today. No, you don't. I deserve things as fast as I can get them. No, I don't. I need to learn to, I need to learn patience. I need to learn to wait every once in a while. Self-discovery, overemphasized. Social programs are over-focused. Social programs. What are they teaching in schools now? Are they teaching math and history and English? Grammar, science, pure science. No, they're they're pushing on social stuff. That's what the if you you know if you're on the on the internet and looking at any kind of news things, that's one of the big things that's pushing. The schools are pushing you know social justice, social this and social that. Um. Florida just passed a law, and uh, the law was to stop them from teaching kindergarten through third grade sex education. Now, you would think that common sense would tell you they wouldn't have to pass a law to do that, but they just passed a law. It's unbelievable the resistance that's coming against them. Because they say we don't want children from kindergarten through third grade to learn about sexual things. And that, you know, the sexual things is are you a boy or a girl? Let them find out on their own. Let mom and dad teach them. But they've had to pass a law. Some folks aren't going to like this. Disney World is in hot opposition to that. As a matter of fact, Disney World, the leaders of Disney have stated that they are going to try to get within, within the next few years to where they have at least 50% of their staff is part of the LGBT crowd. 
And there's many churches that are falling, following suit. They're against that. And we could go on and on and on and on on different things on the social program. Social, 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 instead of teaching them what they need to know. Social. It's over-focused. What do I need to know socially? Love God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul, and your neighbor as yourself. To love one another. To build each other up in Christ. That's what we need to know and what our children need to know. Reforming humanity, that's the ultimate goal. They want to change humanity and change how we, how we do socially and what we do socially. We want to change those things. That's all told in the Scripture that this is what's going to take place. It says they will not endure sound doctrine, and they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. In other words, they, they just want to hear the stuff. That, that fits into their, their little mold. Okay? The second thing, sensuality and greed. Sensuality and greed. Turn to Second Peter. Second Peter, chapter number 2. Peter talks about this. He says, but there were in verse verse number one, it says, but there were false prophets among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom they the way of truth shall be evil spoken of, and through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly and deliver just lot vexed with the filthy conversation of wicked. For that righteous man dwelleth among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Okay? Uh, sensuality and, and, and greed. Sensuality. Uh, only what, uh, you know, I've got to feel better. Only what makes me feel good. Whatever's sensual. That means that, that appeals to the flesh. Okay? And, and greed. You know, something, you know, I've got to have. I've got to have. Uh, we would call it lust. Okay? We, ha- we have to have more and 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 more. God, <clears throat> here's a philosophy. God only wants us to be happy and enjoy life. Is that true or false? It's false. 
Okay? It's false. Uh, we're told that having food and raiment to be content. There are preachers that get out and tell you that God wants you to be happy and enjoy life. He doesn't tell us that's what we should seek for. He tells us to seek for His righteousness. And if we seek for His righteousness, we will be happy and have a full life. Um, I've known the Lord now for over 50 years. I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior when I was a young teenager. I was the only one in my family. We did not go to church. Okay, We did not go to church. We were not a religious family. We didn't pray over meals. The only time the Lord's name was even mentioned is when it was a cuss word. But there came a time in my life when I heard the gospel. I trusted God as my Savior. I trusted Jesus as my Savior. He changed me. If any man be in Christ Jesus, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And I've tried from that time until this time to live for God. Now, I'm not perfect, and I do fall every once in a while. I get angry every once in a while at folks that I shouldn't and uh, things. But I've tried to live a life that pleases the Lord. And I'm happy. I don't have millions and millions and millions of dollars. As a matter of fact, uh, my bank account fluctuates from zero to negative. From zero to ne- no, no, it doesn't fluctuate. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about. But I'm happy. I've learned to, tr- to be content. I'd like to be driving a nice brand new Cadillac or a Rolls Royce. That would really be awesome. But I don't need it. My kids, when we were growing up, they wanted to get, my girls, they, 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 they wanted me to get a second car so that they could go to the, to the mall. And I said, you don't need a car to go to the mall. They looked at me and I said, you got two legs. And I says, the bus stops right down there. It's only 75 cents. It's a lot cheaper than gas and oil and insurance on a car. And it will take you exactly where you want to go. So you can get along without a car. Well, I finally broke down my oldest one, and, and uh, we had a Volkswagen Bug. And she says, oh, Dad, it's a Volkswagen Bug. And I says, yeah, but it's got four wheels and the engine runs. It will take you where you want to go. You don't have to have a fancy car. Be content with what you have. Be happy with what you have. The Bible tells us having those things, food and raiment, to be content God wants me to be holy. He says, be ye holy as I am holy. He didn't say, be ye happy. Okay? Uh, he didn't say, be you, be you in a joyous life. He says, be ye holy as I am holy. And if we are holy as he is holy, those two things will come along. We will be happy and we will have a wonderful life. I think God has given me a wonderful life. It hasn't always been easy, and uh, there's been ups and downs, but I've always praised God for what he's done. Went to school with a guy by the name of George, and, and George, he was, a different, he was a different bird. He really was. But one thing George did, every, any situation that came up, it was praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Had a big major test in doctrine. He got a B instead of an A. Most of us would have just rejoiced. We would have been happy. We'd been rolling down the aisles, been Pentecostal by, by getting a B. But he got a B. 
you know, and he was used to getting A's. But you know what he said? Well, praise the Lord anyway. George didn't do a whole lot towards his personal hygiene. And it got to the point where he was offensive, odor-wise, especially to the young ladies. And so a couple of us guys decided we were going to take care of that for him. So we gathered him up one day against his will, take him to the swimming pool and threw him in, clothes and all, everything. We figured he's going to get out and he is going to be mad. He gets out and he's dripping wet. And he said, well, praise the Lord anyway. (laughs) One day, uh, we thought we'd pull a practical joke on him. And he was out getting getting the food in, in, in the uh, cafeteria. And I reached over and took his pudding bowl, his dessert bowl, while he was gone getting a drink or something. And I put an empty bowl in its place. And I just hit it over the side. And he sat down and he began to eat. And he says, he stopped for a moment. And he says, well, that's strange. I don't remember eating my pudding. And then he kept on going. And then he stopped again and he says, I don't normally eat my pudding first. And then he went on about eating. And all of a sudden he stopped, pulled the spoon up. He says, I didn't eat my pudding. My spoon is clean. And of course, we all, you know, laughed and everything. And I gave it back to him. But his response wasn't, you know, you know what? You pull these things on me. His response was, well, praise the Lord anyway. He had learned that whatever took place in his life to praise God, he was happy. And my friends, if you're sad this morning and you're seeking after, you know, the happiness and the joy of life and it's just not being fulfilling, try being holy as God is holy. Try putting Jesus first in your life and allowing Him to control your life. Give Him the glory for everything that takes place in your life and you'll find out that you will be happy and you will be joyous in your life. God's primary goal in our life is holiness. First Peter, turn there to First Peter. You're already in Second Peter. Turn back to First Peter, verse number 16. In chapter number 1, you can see what he says here. Verse number 15 says this, okay? But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And that's the secret to happiness in a fulfilled life. God does not call us to sensual pleasure. God does not call us to wealth and indulgence. Back years ago, well, I know it was in the 70s, there was a radio preacher by the name of, uh, um, oh, now I forgot his name. But uh, Ike, Ike was his name, Reverend Ike. And uh, he had two Rolls Royces and he had a big mansion that was a multi-million dollar ranch and he had gold on his fingers and things like that. And he was saying, uh, if you want, uh, uh, you know, if you want uh, uh, wealth by and by when you die in the sky, then I'm not your man. But if you want your, if you want wealth now, I'm your man. Send to, to, to Reverend Ike 
And of course, he promised that if you would send him your, your money, that you would become wealthy. It didn't happen. A lot of people did it, and it didn't happen. He finally went off the scene. God doesn't promise that. Uh, there's nothing wrong with wealth. God's the one that gives wealth. There's nothing wrong with that. But he doesn't expect us to seek after it. As a matter of fact, the scripture says that the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, money's useful, and it's important. I mean, you gotta have money to turn on the lights, right? Amen? We gotta have that. You gotta have, you gotta have money to pay the rent, gotta have money to do that. But to love it and to, and to um, go after it, and that's all we can think about, it's wrong. It's sinful. And that's one of the signs of apostasy as the believers, Christians, will get away from trusting God. He says, I shall supply all of your needs according to my riches and glory. Do you believe that? It's in Philippians. Do you believe that? That he will supply your needs? He will. He says, I'll supply your needs. He says, don't be seeking after wealth. If wealth comes to you, give glory to God. There, there are people that have wealth. How many of you... How many of you have ever shopped at J.C. Penney's? Well, raise your hand. Did you know that J.C. Penney's was a Christian? Okay. Uh, when he started his store, you know, he was a Christian during the time. Matter in fact, there was a period of time when you could not shop in J.C. Penney's on Sunday because Mr. Penney's, being a Christian, closed his store so that his employees could go to church on Sunday. J.C. Penney's lived on 10% of his wealth, and the rest of it he gave away to the Lord. And he was a wealthy man. He was a wealthy man. There's several other. There was a contractor, and I forget his name, but he was a contractor the same way. One, he got saved. He was one, he was going out, and he was trying to get all the money he could possibly get, but he got saved. Better than silver and gold is salvation. He got saved. And he started giving to God, and he got to where he would live off of 10% and give the rest of it to the Lord and to the work of the Lord. And he was a wealthy man. Okay? Um, so there's nothing wrong with wealth if God gives it. But when we seek after it, and when Christians, if that's all they're thinking of is wealth and indulgence, you know, a feed my flesh, feed my flesh, well, then we've got problems. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter number 6. 1 Timothy chapter number 6. <clears throat> and I think I mentioned this before, but we're going to mention again. Chapter number, chapter number 6, 1 Timothy. Um, let's see. Starting in verse number 6, it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some covet after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. 
But here in the last days, many Christians are seeking after wealth and indulging themselves. The third thing, we only have two more. The third thing is there will be a mocking of God's word. Okay? And there will be an upholding, again, in 1 Timothy chapter number 6, starting in verse number 20, a, script, a science above Scripture. Science above Scripture. Verse number 20, it says, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and opposition of science falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be unto you with thee. Amen. And so uh, there's going to be a, a shift of, of denying or mocking God's word and upholding science above the Scripture. Is that happening today? Well, yes. Look at creation. For years, we, t- we accepted what the Bible says for creation, and now look at it. We say, no, 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 no. This is billions and billions of years ago. By the way, did you know that they've got, they found a planet? They found a planet that will sustain life. It's only 385,000 light years away. Okay? You know how far that is? Light year travels at 186,000 miles per second. And so the distance that it takes light to travel in a year is a light year. Now, if you want to do the math, you can figure it out. I don't think most of our calculators won't even get the figures in there. It's so big. It's just a long thing. But science, you know, this world, bang, the big bang. Yeah, bang. God said, let there be light. Bang, there was light. God says, I'm going to create a heaven and the earth, and bang, it was there. Okay. But yet, in the last day, even Christians have gone by and say, well, creation, yeah, well, God put it in motion, but it's taken millions of years, millions of years. And it's kind of interesting that, that it takes millions of years, and they're always talking about millions and billions like that, and nothing that's, you know, Concrete that can be proven. By the way, science is good. Science is learning, finding out how something works. That's what science is. And science isn't perfect. Okay? Science changes. Science grows. Uh, just our medical field today is a result of science. Think of what it was a hundred years ago. A hundred years ago, a man that has the condition that I have, it was a death sentence for him because they didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to take care of it. And now they know how to take care of it. A hundred years ago, you never heard of a person getting new hips, new knee joints. It just didn't happen. They didn't know how to do it. But that's science. And they learn that it can be done. Several hundred years ago, They bled people when they were sick. President Washington died because he was sick and they bled him. And they bled too much blood out of him. Yet the Bible says the life is in the blood. And if they would have just stayed with the scriptures, the life is in the blood, they wouldn't have bled people. That's why, you know, you have, you have a a barber pole and it's, and it's red and white. That's because that's where you would go, uh, Brother Mike, that's where you'd go if you want to be bled. You would go to the barber. 
And after he shaved you, well, then he would slice a little thing and drain some blood out of you. That's what they did. But the scriptures tells us to do something otherwise. Wow. Science above the scripture. Salvation. Uh, science above salvation. Science above redemption. Science above the rapture. Science above the tribulation. And the millennium and the judgment. And Noah and the flood. And Moses crossing the Red Sea. And the virgin birth. And everything that involved in the scriptures. They say, well, we're not, this, we're not, we're not going to take what the scripture says. We're going to see what science says. And I won't go into what they're saying about science now. But uh, that's one of the signs. The fourth thing is ungodly lifestyles. Okay? And that's in the book of Jude. And we just did that this morning. And turn with me to the book of Jude. It's the last book just before the book of the Revelation. It's only one chapter. We're not going to read the whole chapter. But um, it, it, it shows... Uh, uh, Verse number 15, it says to execu- the, the, that the, there's going to be execution of those uh, that are ungodly among them, of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. They will be judged. And when you read this, you, you see some of the sins that were taking place there. There's going to be an ungodly lifestyle, and folks, we're there. We are in that ungodly lifestyle, turning God's grace into license to sin. Well, I'm saved, so therefore I can do whatever I want to. No, you can't. There's a penalty for sin. There's a penalty for sin. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And if we think that we can, because we're saved, and we, and we believe we're saved for all eternity, and we can't lose that salvation, but if you think you can sin and get away from away with it, you are seriously deceived. But that's how the trend is going. Um, recasting Christ into the image of man. Okay? Instead of being in the image of God, they want to make him as a man. Not the Christ, not the Son of God. Failing to teach and to preach against sin. And that's something that many of our churches are are woefully guilty of is not preaching against sin. Sin is still sin, and we need to preach against sin. And then failing to point to the crucified Savior for redemption. Well, just be good to your neighbor and try to have a good life, and uh, you'll be okie-dokie. And that's just not biblical. The Bible tells us that Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified in his sight. Our salvation does not rest on how good we are. I can do all the good deeds there are, but if I haven't put my trust in the saving power of Jesus Christ as my Savior, that won't do any good whatsoever. Remember that story, and I'll close with this. Remember the story that Jesus told. And a matter of fact, Brother Dave and I was just discussing this. Was he talking about... Um, the rich man dying and going to hell and the poor man, Lazarus, dying and going to Abraham's bosom. Here was a rich man and he went to hell. He had all everything that this world has to offer, but he didn't have salvation. And he died and he went to hell. The beggar 
Lazarus had nothing that this world had to offer, but he had faith in God, and he died and he was justified. And so this world is, is, uh, needs to understand that the redemption comes through Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So what do we do? What do we do about it? He's coming back. We don't know exactly when, but it looks like it's getting close. It's getting closer and closer as the days go by. So what do we do? Well, we're told in 2 Timothy chapter number 3 and 4 to preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. So preach the root. Reprove, showing what is wrong. Rebuke, show what is right. Exhort, encourage righteousness. And trust in His Word. That's what we need to do. Because He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. Heavenly Father, thank You for this day. And thank You for Your Word. And Lord, help us not to get discouraged when we see unrighteousness prevailing. Help us not to get discouraged, Heavenly Father, when we hear of uh, those that are changing Your Word, changing Your doctrines, but help us to be encouraged when we see the wickedness that's going on and the way our government's going and the governments of the world are going and churches are going. Help us not to get discouraged, but to be encouraged knowing that these are only the signs of Your return, that Heavenly Father, Your Son, Jesus Christ, is coming back to rule and to reign. And we who are alive and remain shall be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. Help us to look for that day and to live for that day. And we'll be careful to give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Let's all stand. And I'm not going to give a lengthy invitation. I'm just not, I'm just not led to do that. But if you're here and you're not living for God, today's the day you need to get it right. And say, God, I've been living for self. I want to get it right. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Jesus is coming. And if He comes and you've not trusted Christ as your Savior, it will be too late. And you will have to suffer the judgment of God. So with that 